Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, thank you for joining us. We are GFBS, Grand Fork's best source. And welcome to The Great Reset. I am producer Paul, and I am soon to be joined by David Waterman. I'm filling in for John Roberts today. He's out on assignment. Uh, but first off, let's, uh, today's show is brought to you by our friends over at Executive Properties. Are you still putting off that project around the house that's been bugging you forever? Do you think you can wait until spring and call a contractor and have the work done ASAP? Well, good luck with that. Executive Properties has openings right now to get that project done. In fact, you can check out their Google reviews. Austin says Barry and the team did a great job putting a deck skirt on my deck. It gave the deck a great finished look and helps keep my dog from getting covered in mud every morning. Would recommend them for any project, large or small. Tell you what, for that project you want done sooner than later, call Executive Properties, 701-330-1273. Well, thanks again, Executive Properties, for helping support GFBS. Uh, They also do snow removal, so be sure to get a hold of them now before they fill up. And they also do uh, garage repair So and and gutters. So, uh, yeah, hit them up. Now, the best way to interact with us live is by going to gfbestsource.com and clicking on the big Listen Now button right on our website. Uh, You can find the Rumble link on our GFBS Facebook page. I would definitely recommend following us on Rumble because I believe that Rumble is the best app out there currently. Um, And you can also watch us live on our uh, Facebook pages, Twitch, and interact in the chat. Or you can call in with your text or comments at 701-213-0863. So joining me today is David Waterman. How have you been, my friend? Good morning. Thank you. I'm, uh, I've been well. I've been very well. Thanks. Yeah, I'm getting ready for the... Well, this is my favorite time of the year, really. The fall, That's uh, the, the weather is the best. The trees are beautiful. And, uh, and the, the, the temperature is just usually just right. A lot of, I mean, nice solar warmth without the... the burning rays of ultraviolet that you get in the summer it's just what follows uh, it's what follows that i don't like right that's <laughs> yeah. always the worst part of fall because <laughs> uh, i'm always trying to look ahead but yes um and, but and you know it i mean it you know it it is nice to have, uh, talk about something on a lighter note because today's episode is going to be very very disturbing yes it is yeah it is really uh yeah and it's something that uh that has been coming for a long time um Something that uh, people who pay attention have been watching and waiting for, and it's it's uh, the question is always in my mind when something really begins to heat up around Israel, not just in the Middle East, but around Israel. Uh, is this the final, the final, the final chapter before the final chapter, which leads to the end of the world? Because world events leading to the ultimate destruction of everything that we know will focus around that state, that nation of Israel. Yeah, and we're going to get into all of that very shortly. Um, but I do want to uh, come do it, you know, in John's tradition here, give you a couple of news updates. Um, so this one is uh, pretty big and rele- relevant for us because um, the update of the 84 North Dakota, North Dakota tourists that are actually stuck in Bethlehem because of the Israel-Hamas war that is currently going on. Uh, the tourists came from church groups of uh, Holy Cross in West Fargo, Holy Family in Grand Forks, and St. Anthony's in Fargo. Father Phil Ackerman, the leader of the group, released statements to the press yesterday that we hope that there are other options available for us, maybe some help from the U.S. Embassy to help us and guide us, 
or the U.S. State Department. Those conditions and situations are changing. Things change by the day and sometimes by the hour. And then Governor Doug Burgum also released a statement concerning the Israel-Hamas war and North Dakota tourists. The attack by Hamas terrorists on Israel is reprehensible, and the fact it occurred on a Jewish holiday is despicable. We stand with our Democratic ally Israel while lifting up in prayer the victims of these horrific acts. We also pray for the safe return of the priests and uh, parishioners from North Dakota, can, uh, con- congregations who are anxiously waiting to board flights home. Today we reach out to the U.S. State Department and spoke with Father Ackerman, offering to assist however possible to help ensure the safe return of those North Dakotans and all Americans wanting to return to U.S. soil. So, you know, I mean, we even have, you know, people locally that are getting impacted by this right now. Indeed. and. I'm, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I, I got I got a bunch of things here. So we'll. No, that's yeah right. And not only that, but we. I mean, my wife knows uh, has has friends in Israel. Um, I know someone in Israel, uh, and yeah, it's it's. See, the idea of bringing the, the the North Dakota folks home is that's that's good. I mean, that's that we should do everything that we can to bring them home, but the people that are the Israelis who live in Israel, are home. Mm-hmm. Right? They don't have a home they can go to to be safe from Hamas. So, uh, so the question is, yeah, and I think this is, this is what we're going to actually start to get into today. By the way, this is, a, as you know, this is a big topic. I mean, it's a very big topic. And I, I think that our, our listeners uh, deserve to really get the big picture before we even start going to the details of what's going on. Uh, so that's something that, uh, that that is important to provide because there's a lot of confusion. Just like there was a lot of confusion over, over COVID, there was a lot of confusion because <clears throat> people are hearing one thing from the major media sources and then they're hearing other things from little tiny groups like Midwest Public Health Coalition that are saying, no, what they're telling you is not true. Mm-hmm. And it's exactly the same thing that's going on uh, with Israel. Well, you know, we can put it in pretty simple terms. This is the biggest attack on the Jewish people since the Holocaust. Yeah, right. Um, uh, well, that's, that's um, we'll get into that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, let me uh, cover uh, just a couple of uh, news items here, uh, and then we can, we can get into the, the meat of this. Um, oh, sure. Unfortunately, you know, we only have a little bit like, over an hour that we can talk today, because this, right. this could go on for five hours. So, you know, I mean. And it will, just not all in the same day. Yep. So uh, currently, there are more than 1,600 dead and 11 U.S. citizens. Uh, Israel continues airstrikes on Gaza. They've displaced over 100,000 people. Uh, I think as of right now, they've hit 5,000 targets with missiles. Um, North Korea is supporting Hamas. Oil prices could spike if the conflict spreads to other parts of the region. And protests are sparking in sanctuary cities. And that's one that uh, really pisses me off. Uh, and then also the open border crisis. Uh, thank you to the Biden administration. Um, I can expect that we're going to get an attack on U.S. soil here pretty soon. Uh, and then also there's the question of is Iran supporting them? And are they using some of the equipment and everything that was left behind when, you know, Biden just cowardly retreated from there? Uh, we already talked about the... And then, and then the Ukraine war. Um, uh, Russia is uh, going to exploit this as well. So... Yeah. Um, so one of the things that, that Christians think about a lot is uh, not just what, what's going on 
in and around Israel because, you know, everyone wants to know what, what the future holds, right? Well, God tells us what the future holds, and he gives us indications of what things will happen before the end of the world. Because here's the way that it works. Uh, at some point, there will be this uh, worldwide, global conflagration that will destroy every, I mean, God will eventually destroy this earth as we know it, um, because the Antichrist comes and deceives uh, pretty much everyone who's not a Christian, and they follow him and worship him. And, and, and then at some point, after all that's over, Jesus will set up his, he will set up a millennial, okay, there's the millennial reign, the thousand-year reign of Christ, the final destruction of the world, and then the, uh, and then the new heavens and the new earth, uh, which is what all believers look forward to. So we want to know, so when is that going to happen, right? Well, first, this world has to, first, the Antichrist, first, Jesus has to come back, then the Antichrist uh, takes over, and people worship him, they think that he's God, uh, because he tells them that he is, and, uh, and so the whole timeline of that, I'm sorry, I've kind of really butchered that in my introduction, because I wasn't even planning on talking about, but that's, that's why a lot of Christians are trying to figure out, is this the, is this the sign that Bible, the Bible talks about when it gets toward the end of the age or toward the end of the world. And one of the signs that Jesus gave was he said, you'll hear of there will be wars and rumors of wars. Well, we've got a war right now between Russia and Ukraine. We've got a war right now in Israel, between Israel and Hamas. And China is still saber-rattling about Japan and Taiwan. And Taiwan. And um, and there's uh, there's one more there's one more one more conflict uh, that may be heating up soon. Um, escapes my mind at the moment, but there are right now wars and rumors of wars. Well, people can say, well, there've been wars and rumors of wars for a long time. Yeah, that's true, that's true. But there are also things going on in the world that have never gone on in the world the way that they are today that match up with biblical. Uh, predictions, biblical revelations, and and prophecies about things that will happen, and and one thing that we know is that regardless of what Wall Street uh, analysts and experts might predict is going to happen on Wall Street, whatever God says in the Bible is is going to happen. You can take that to the bank <laughs> uh, because it will happen. If God says something's going to happen in a certain way at a certain time, it absolutely will happen in that way and at that time. You know, I mean, I'm. Not really getting into the religious aspect of this. I'm more of a, you know, the political side of this. And I don't think that it's any coincidence that we have all these wars going on the minute that Biden took office. Now, you know, he just, I mean, do you think that, that it's coincidence that he just gave, what was Iran, $6 billion and three terrorists? No. And, this, and then all of a sudden this happens? Well, he, he certainly, if you think of the president of the United States as being the executive whose role is to help secure our country, to keep us safe, right? Um, he's the commander in chief for a reason, right? If that's his role, then I think you could easily say that uh, Joe Biden is arguably the weakest president we've ever had. You can look at people like Woodrow Wilson, who were not much to write home about, but uh, and others. But but Biden is certainly, at best, he's weak. At worst, he's working actively on behalf of our enemies uh, to help them destroy America. 
So uh, only God knows his heart, but we can judge by his actions that what he's doing certainly is not making him a friend of our country, and he certainly isn't a leader. So yeah, the things that you mentioned, uh, was it because he's incompetent, or is it because he's being paid off, or is it because he just wants to help destroy America? Yeah, I think he's completely corrupted. I mean, because we talked about this months ago when, you know, they were talking about, uh, you know, this new strain of COVID coming out and they know that people aren't going to comply this time around. And so we, there were talks of, well, then there's going to be a war because it, uh, then they can just use, what is it, wartime uh, actions. Yeah, they- so, I mean, what they're doing, it's, it's still the same Great reset that we've been talking about. Yes. So if you watch, if you watch the interview with Russell Brand and uh, Robert Kennedy Jr., uh, Kennedy very openly states that the that COVID was a military operation from the very beginning, and that our military was involved. I mean, that the the Pentagon was involved, the the National Security Agency was involved, the uh, CIA was involved. Even Trump, while, while Trump was in office, it was, yeah, he said, well, you know, our, the military is going to be distributing the, uh, the vaccine so we can get them out in a hurry. And they used military acts to, to do the things to bypass uh, rules, regulations and laws that would prevent that thing from going out uh, before it was properly tested. Right. Um, there was no safety testing done on any of the covid vaccines. So uh, that went out and that were ruled out as a result of Operation Warp Speed. And so, um, so we were the test, right? The, the American people were the, they were the, the test. They were the guinea pigs. But, but it was a million, and, and Kennedy goes as far as to say that Pfizer and Moderna didn't actually produce those vaccines. I, I can't weigh on that one way or the other because I haven't looked at any of his research or evidence. But he says that they were that it was a military operation and that the military actually produced those things and that Pfizer and Moderna just stamped their names on them to give it an air of, I don't know, legitimacy or something. Yeah. Uh, so the fact that the military, yeah. So we, look, here's the thing that, that nobody feels comfortable thinking about. There are very, very, very evil people in the world. And some of them are in the United States of America. And some of them are at high levels in our own government, right? High-ranking officers in our military. I've spoken with military officers who see from their position the corruption at the top. I mean, they openly... I'm, I'm not talking about some enlisted guy that just went through boot camp. I'm talking about military officers who've been around and see what's going on, and they say the corruption in the U.S. military at high levels in certain branches is unbelievable. So <laughs> that's not a happy thought, you know. It doesn't, doesn't make me sleep any better at night. But sunlight is a great disinfectant, right? If we know that, when we bring that out into the open, when we see what's going on, the people know if the people will wake up and if enough of us will begin to do something about it, begin by telling other their friends and neighbors, uh, then something can be done because they have to do the, the the bad guys always work in secret, right? They always work under the cover of darkness. And so when we bring those things to light, they have a harder time accomplishing their nefarious plans. You know, and um, we're going to talk about, you know, the evil and everything here. Cause I just, I want to, I mean, there's no transition here. I want to get this ad out of the way because what I'm going to get into next 
it's going to ruin your appetite, and I don't want to do that before right. we talk about our right. friends at Oh for Heaven's Cakes. Um, so there is nothing better than treating yourself to some good homemade baked goods. That's where Over Heaven's Cakes comes in. You'll find the best cupcakes and cakes for any special occasion or just a, just a treat. Walk in to find out more, but I'm warning you, you won't want to leave. Over Heaven's Cakes on the north backside of the Grand Cities Mall, and they're open Tuesday through Friday from 10 to 4 and Saturdays 9 to noon. Call 701-757-CAKE. That's 701-757-2253. Or go to OforHeavensCakes at yahoo.com. Be a beautiful cupcake in a world full of muffins. Over Heaven's Cakes in the Grand Cities Mall. Okay, so I don't know if you've seen uh, the footage, but, I mean, this is evil, like I said, from, I mean, this is comparable to the Holocaust. These people from Hamas, they went in to Israel, and their sole purpose, I mean, this wasn't like one army against another. Their sole purpose was to go there and kill as many Jews as possible. Women, children, everybody. And you see these videos of these barbarians Sitting over there, I mean, they have, uh, you know, people from Israel that are already dead that they have shot and killed. And then they're taking hoes and trying to decapitate them. They're mutilating their bodies. They're raping, kidnapping women. They, I mean, they're, they're slitting babies' throats. You know, it, it's, if you see this stuff, it, it just makes your stomach turn how evil they are. And they should be wiped off the face of the earth. So, Paul, your 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 description of what's going on does certainly bring up dark visions of what happened during the Holocaust, and I think that that was the reference that you were making, right? There was there there we haven't seen we haven't seen the kind of of grotesque, perverted violence perpetrated on innocent people. Uh, in, in the numbers that we're beginning to see or that they would love to perpetrate on Israel uh, since, since the Holocaust uh, of World War II. So the question is really, I think that um, to step back and take, well, I mean, okay, you can say, what about what's going on in China? Yeah, China, the CCP is, is just as bad. The things that they do to the people that, that don't, you know, fall in step with their program. Um, hideous, hideous evil around the world. Interesting, Hamas, I don't know if I've got it exactly right, but oh, it's almost word for word their slogan. The slogan of Hamas is, um, we love death as much as Israel loves life. What does that say to you? I mean, what, why, aren't, why isn't every single broadcast outlet in the world broadcasting that? Why don't people know about Hamas? I watched a BBC uh, broadcast uh, a few couple of days ago and was listening to these three people comment on the attacks on Israel and the retribution that Israel was uh, was using in their you know the way that they were attacking retribution everything that they did put Israel in a bad light it made it look like Hamas and the Arabs were kind of just reacting as a result of the bad people that the Israelis are. And, and that's very common. There's a book, Raymond Bennett wrote this book, Philistine, uh, The Great Deception, back in, I think, 1970, uh, what was it, 1979, um, no, um, sorry, 
Anyway, he wrote it back in uh, before 2000, 1995, 1995, Raymond Bennett. Uh, and he ta- he, he's an Israeli Christian who talks about and explains, and this is a, the only thing about this book is you, you talked about things that go on that will turn your stomach. Unfortunately, Mr. Bennett gives some, he, he gives some pretty graphic accounts of some of the things that the Arabs do to their enemies in here. And it's, I, I would recommend actually skipping over those pages because it is, uh, it's stomach-turning. It's the kind of thing that nightmares are made of. Um, and they do it joyfully. These people do it joyfully. They have such a lust for blood and for imposing pain on others that it's... I don't think that there's any other explanation other than to say that it's demonic. And that's the reason that at some point, at some point, the, the political analysis of what's happening over there breaks down because it can't be understood in simple human and political terms. You've got to go deeper than that. And, and, and that's what I think that we need to do to, to look at the spiritual underpinnings of what's happening. And, and so if we start by asking, you know, what is Israel? And here's a, here's a little map of Israel. Um, there's, there's Israel. I know that we can put this on the screen because we got a great, uh, you know, Dean is, is, is hard at work. There it is. It's a very dark state, as you can see. It's almost <laughs> black completely. You just can't really... Oh, wait. Oh, I guess that was just a technical but, error. And you know, but, well, well uh, Dean is getting that pulled up. Um, you know, one of the things that just absolutely drives me nuts is the fact that there are people, you know, in like New York and Chicago that are in support of Hamas calling, you know, that Israel, that they're, you know, they're racist or something along those lines. It's like, did they not see the video of them just killing as many people as they, as they can? I mean, this one, there you go. Yep. It's not like going in there and just, you know, doing just wartime stuff. I mean, this is them literally killing babies. Yeah, so, so, so here's Israel, and as you can see, it's, uh, it's got Jordan on one side, Egypt on the other side. Syria is right above, uh, right above Jordan. Uh, over to the left is, is Lebanon. You can see the, the, the yellow one up there. And then down below, Jordan is, is Saudi Arabia. So Israel is a Jewish, the Jewish state, and... It's surrounded by Arab nations, right? Muslim nations. The Arabs, the Muslims, are arch enemies of Israel. Uh, Israel is the only state, and the only nation in the world that I'm aware of that is completely surrounded by enemies. Um, it's, like, it's like being the only black family in a neighborhood that's populated by Ku Klux Klaners, right? That's what it's like. It's like being the only white guy in a in a ghetto that's populated by uh, by uh, who is it the uh, Crips and the Bloods the Crips and right yeah exactly they're in a, they're in a tough spot but but it's a massive it's a ma- as you can see it's a massive country let me show you here let me just show you this way first let me show you hold on let me do this first uh, Dean let me just show this yeah back to me. So here's the Middle East. Oh, that's not working. Oh, boy. Okay. Well, I've got a special version here, but yeah, the green screen thing doesn't work. Go back to, go to this one, if you will. This is the Middle East. There's, so you see Saudi Arabia, Egypt, Sudan, um, Iran, Iraq, 
Syria, Turkey, Lebanon, all of these countries are, are huge. And then there's that big, that big blue section in the middle, that's Israel. Oh, wait, no, that's not Israel, that's the Red Sea. Israel is that very little tiny, if you go way up to the tip of Saudi Arabia and you see the orange part, that's Jordan. And then right to the left of Jordan, yeah, right there, can you circle that? That, or just with your pointer, yeah, there, there, that, that's Israel. That is the nation of Israel. It's, it's basically, the, it's a little bit, it's around the size of New Jersey, okay? We're, we're talking one of the smallest countries in the world. I think it's smaller than Ecuador. That's a tiny little country. You notice the size of Saudi Arabia, Iran, Iraq, Egypt, Sudan, Syria. Those are Arab Muslim nations. And they're saying that Israel is encroaching on their land. <laughs> and the, the people in Israel, the, is, the Israelites, the Jews, have no right to exist. The goal of Hamas is the complete and utter destruction of every single Jewish man, woman, and child on the face of the earth. So we have to ask the question, why? What? What? Why this hatred of the Jews? Why is it so intense that they will do these kinds of horrific things that you're talking about? They consider them less than human. But the question is, why? Where did it start, right? Who are these people? Where do they come from? Where did it start? And, and why is it continuing? Uh, there's no threat there. Do you know, you know, Israel has pursued a policy for decades that has not worked for them. And it will continue to not work. And we'll get into this more in a future broadcast while I'm bringing more maps. Uh, but it's called Land for Peace. So tiny, tiny little Israel has, has multiple times given away land in order, it's saying, look, okay, if we give you this piece of land, we'll, can we just have peace and just stop the hostilities and have peace? And the Arab nations say, sure, we'll do that. So they give them some more land. And there's peace for a while, and then they tax start all over again. And the reason for that is because they won't be satisfied until Israel is completely destroyed. Every Jew destroyed. So the question is why, and I'll ask you, and if, if, if John was here, I'd ask him too, why, where does this Jew hatred come from? Why do these people hate? Because that's what it is. It's Jew hatred. It's anti-Semitism. Hatred of the Jewish people. Why do so many people around the world hate the Jews? They, they, they certainly don't have, they have no reputation as being this conquering horde that goes out to take land from other people. They, they don't have any kind of reputation of, of being butchers going around slaughtering other nations. Well, except in, in the Old Testament when God said, go and wipe those people out. Then they did it. <laughs> but that was thousands of years ago. So why this hatred of the Jewish people today? Any, any ideas? I'll let you just go ahead and just, you, both of you, just, any ideas? Go ahead, just throw it out there. I'll name an example. I, Paul, I've got my uh, volume. Oh. Uh, I'll give an example in a movie I saw earlier this year, uh, The Fablements, that new Steven Spielberg movie, kind of uh, mostly based on his life, on how he experienced anti-Semitism and how he was uh, uh, bullied in school. Uh, they're, and they're referencing uh, uh, the bullies were bullying this uh, fictitious version of Steven Spielberg, Asking him, uh, you know, why 
why did you crucify Jesus Christ? Uh, that that's what they were. Mm. And that was kind of like that type, those kind of uh, anti-Semitic remarks they're making towards them. So I don't know if that's like a big blanket thing that's still considered today. Or- yeah. So did they, so the people that said that, and it's true, he did experience anti-Semitism as a lot of Jews do, or even in, even in this country. So did, I wonder if he, what was his answer? Did he say, well, what, do I look like I'm 2013 years that, old to you? That's what he said in the movie. <laughs> oh, Pretty he much did? Paraphrase. <laughs> he said okay. in the movie, um, he said uh, his the high school version of, of, of himself said that I wasn't there 2,000 years ago. I wouldn't know. Right. So is that the, re- oh, so, so that's an interesting question, but that kind of begs another question, doesn't it? No one in Hamas is Christian. I mean, I, I don't. I don't know the official religion for that uh, that group. It's Muslim. Muslim. Okay. They're Muslims, right? The Muslims, the the true Muslims, the Muslims who actually follow the teachings of Muhammad that are laid down in the Quran, uh, hate the Jews, and they hate the Christians. So, they don't like us. They don't like them. So that would mean that they wouldn't like Jesus either. So why would they care? Right? It's like if, if one Jewish guy kills another Jewish guy, who cares? They'd say, oh, good, well, they're doing our jobs for us. Right? So that can't be the answer when it comes to Arabs and Muslims in terms of Jew hatred. Right? The only other thing I remember is that uh, from news reports, I, I, I can't remember if it was like a Hamas official or spokesperson. Mm-hmm. They, didn't they say that one of the reasons they, for the uh, impetus for their attacks was Supposedly, they are, uh, Israel is targeting safe houses or something to that effect. That, again, that's according to the, the, from what I from spoke. spoke targeting people. safe houses, targeting safe houses. That would I would I would if we were going to translate that, I would say that probably means they're going after the leaders who are plotting the deaths of of Jewish people in Israel. I guess my uh, answer to this is that they wouldn't want. Uh, Jewish people converting them to Christianity, convert, converting the Muslims to Christianity. Except Jews, most Jews aren't Christians, right? Oh, okay. Yeah. <clears throat> the Jews that live in Israel, they're very, very few of them, sadly, are, are Christians. So here's where it gets interesting. Because, so to go back to your point about the, you know, the, what was the Spielberg movie named again? What was the, what was the name of it? The Fablemans. The Fablemans. Okay. So, so in that in that instance, and that is common in terms of anti-Semitism in America, Jews who say, especially certain church groups, will say, yeah, you killed Christ. I know a man who uh, is Jewish, came from Poland, uh, grew up in a very, very ultra-Orthodox Jewish home, and uh, didn't know anything about Christianity or Christians at all. Um, his father was a Rebbe, which is the, the leader in the ultra-Orthodox Jewish sects, not a rabbi, but a rebbe. And the rebbe basically has the same authority in a Jewish community as the pope has in the Catholic Church, right? If the rebbe says something is the way it is, that's the way it is. I mean, nobody argues. No one argues with the rebbe. So, uh, you know, for example, when they first brought tomatoes to their village, the question is, you know, people are, the Jews in this Jewish section are, are arguing amongst themselves, are tomatoes kosher or are they not kosher? Kosher is a, means clean. That's what kosher means. If someone says, is that kosher? 
it means clean. It means clean for them to eat, right? So because the Bible describes clean and the unclean. So, uh, so they have this big discussion, and, and they go to the Rebbe, and they say, are tomatoes clean or, or unclean? And he says, bring me tomatoes. So they bring him some tomatoes, and he says, okay, now go away. He takes the tomatoes into his house. He looks at them. He smells them. He cuts one open, takes a bite. He calls them back. They're, they're kosher. Okay, so that's it. That ends the discussion, right? That's, the, that's the, the environment that this man that I'm talking about, his name is Arnold, grew up in. And uh, in fact, his grandfather was the Rebbe in his village. And uh, this was in Poland. And one year, as they were preparing to celebrate Passover, Passover is a celebration that was commanded of the Jews by God to, to, to have a feast every year, the Passover feast, remembering the day that God led, led the Israelites out of Egypt by the hand and, and out of the, the, the bondage that they were in in Egypt to Pharaoh. Egypt is also known as the Iron Furnace. It's kind of a, it's almost a, it's like an analogy for hell because they were in cruel bondage. I mean, they were all slaves and they were horribly treated for 400 years until Moses came and, and, and led them out under God's direction. So, they were getting ready to celebrate the Passover, and the rumor went out in this Polish village that the Jews are about to celebrate Passover, which they can't do without the blood of a freshly killed Christian boy, which is total nonsense, right? That's nonsense. The Jews don't even kill, they don't kill anything at Passover. They have, uh, the two of the primary elements are unleavened bread, that's bread that was baked without leaven so it doesn't rise, it's flat. Today it's called matzah. And the other one is wine, red wine or red juice. Grape, from the grape. And the bread represents the fact that they had to eat their food in haste. They didn't have time for the bread to rise before they fled out of Egypt. And the juice, the red juice, this isn't it, but this is, it's red wine to represent the blood of the Passover lamb that was slain by God's command, to paint on the door, doorposts and lintels of their homes because in the 10 plagues that God sent against Egypt before he led the, the, the Israelites out of Egypt, the 10th plague was the plague of the firstborn or the death of the firstborn. And God said, I will send a destroyer through all of Egypt and I will strike the dead. Uh, the, the firstborn of every household, whether you know man or beast, the firstborn is going to die. Uh, but then he said to the, to the Israelites, and Moses told them, he said, take a Passover lamb, a perfect lamb, an unblemished lamb, and kill it, and then put its blood on the doorposts and the lintels of your home. And when the angel of death comes, he'll see the blood and he'll pass over your house. So the firstborn of your house will live. So all the firstborn of the houses of Israel lived, and all the firstborn of the houses of Egypt died, including Pharaoh's. So that's why they call it the Passover? That's why they call it Passover, exactly. And that's celebrated every year. And again, they don't kill a Passover lamb at, at Passover. They have bread and wine, and the wine represents the blood. So anyway, they're getting ready to celebrate the Passover in this Jewish village, and this this. This rumor goes out, he said it was probably spread with the aid of the Polish police who were not Jewish, that they're about to kill a, a Christian boy to celebrate Passover. So they got word that, that these villagers 
ignorant villagers are coming to, to the Jewish quarter with picks and knives and axes to take care of those Jews. And they fled across the border. They went, I think, to Germany and then to, to uh, they went to, uh, they ended up in Russia. From Russia, they came to the United States. And when Arnold was a boy, he, he went into, he was still in school. So he was still in public school. And someone asked him once, what church do you go to? You Protestant or Catholic? He said, well, I don't go to church. I'm Jewish. And they said, Christ killer. You're a Christ killer. He'd never heard the term Christ before. I mean, he didn't even know that word. He didn't know what they were talking about. So, Dean, to your point, yes, there is anti-Semitism in the United States because of that. Uh, which is kind of funny, isn't it? Because they say that the Jews killed Christ, right? Have you heard that before? The Jews killed Christ? No, uh, I'm just wondering. Have you ever heard that? No. Okay. There are churches that actually say that. A lot of anti-Semitism actually comes from certain churches, um, specific denominations in particular. Uh, and uh, the, the funny thing, and it's, it's laughable because what nationality was Jesus? He was a Jew. He was Jewish. Yeah, he was a Jew. How about all the apostles? They're all Jews. <laughs> They're all Jews. In fact, the Bible says that salvation is from the Jews. So even though there were Jews who turned against Jesus... The ones who actually crucified him were all Gentiles. They were Romans. There was the Roman soldiers that nailed him to the cross and hung him there. It wasn't the Jews. So it was a combination, right? It's the first time that, that those Jewish leaders uh, worked in conjunction with uh, the Romans to accomplish a, a goal. And, and, and guess what? Guess who didn't want to put Jesus on the cross? Pilate, right? He tried to, tried to call it off. He, they, they brought him, they brought him, they brought Jesus into his court with these trumped up charges. There were false charges. And, and Pilate at one point, you know, they said, crucify him. And, and Pilate's response was, why? What evil has he done? Who was Pilate? Pilate was Pontius the... Pontius Pilate, right? Pontius Pilate, right, yeah. He was the, he was the, uh, like the governor uh, at the time. Of the, in, the in, Romans? In Jerusalem, yes. Okay. Yeah, because it was Roman occupation, yeah. right? The Romans had, had moved into Israel and... And we're trying to take over. So the Jews believed that, that, that Jesus, that the Messiah was going to set them free from Roman rule. And, uh, and, and Jesus showed up at the height of Roman rule in Israel. Um, but that wasn't his goal. His goal was to set them free from uh, a tyrant far worse than the Romans. And that was uh, their own sins, uh, which is why he died on the cross. So I want to go to this question. That's just a little bit of a background, but here's an even bigger... We need to look, get a bigger background, uh, and I want to ask the question, what is Israel, uh, who are they, and, uh, and why do they exist today? Because without the historical context, <clears throat> it's difficult to understand what's happening in the Middle East today. So in the last 15 minutes, because we've got a short show, Relatively speaking. No, we can go. We got another 30 minutes. 30 minutes? Okay, great. Beautiful. <clears throat> we got Mary Stewart having some comments, too, about, uh, I don't know if it's uh, some, about uh, Pontius Pilate saying, blood is on your hands. Uh, yeah. I don't know if that's a little update or for how it was worded or. Um, Pilate actually didn't say the blood is on your hands. Pilate brought out a basin of water. <clears throat> And he walked before the crowd. His wife actually had come to him the day before and said to him, 
uh, or maybe it was actually that very day when he when they brought Jesus to him, and she said, <clears throat> she said to him, "I suffered terribly in a dream last night because of him. Have nothing to do with this righteous man." So that's the warning that Pilate's wife gave to him: "Have nothing to do with this righteous man." So. Pilate brought a basin of water and he washed his hands in front of the crowd and he says, I'm, my hands are clean. I have nothing to do. You, you, you take him, do with him whatever you wish, right? So, so Pilate essentially vacated his authority uh, as governor to let the crowds do what they want. And then they, so they have, so the Roman, it's still the Roman soldiers that, uh, that took him in and crucified him, you know. There's debate in Christian circles about whether or not Pilate really regretted it, but he was, he was basically cowering under the threat posed to him by the crowds uh, who were calling for the crucifixion of Jesus. But I want to go... Uh, just a, I mean, this is kind of off topic, but, you know, because you're talking about, uh, you know, the fabled men's and, well, you know, the passion of the Christ is Mel, Gibbs, Mel Gibson, is he Jewish? No. No, okay. no, he's not. No, he's, in fact, he's Catholic. Okay, and a few years ago, and I don't know Mel Gibson. I don't know his heart. I don't know what he, you know, I don't know him, so I can't say. But there was a, there's a question about whether he's anti-Semitic because he was pulled over driving drunk at one point many years ago, and apparently flew into some rage and was spewing all kinds of anti-Semitic statements, uh, and so that put a lot of people off, especially after he made that movie. But let's go to the beginning of Israel. Where did Israel begin? In Genesis chapter 12, it says this. Now, the Lord said to Abram, you've heard of Abraham, right? You've heard of Abraham. You know the name Abraham. How about the name Abram? Have you heard of Abram? No. You know who Paul is, the Apostle Paul? Have you ever heard of a guy named the Jewish uh, leader named Saul? I'm not talking about King Saul. It's a different Saul. I think Adam and Eve Saul. Saul, no, no. Saul was going from church to church persecuting Christians. Saul was a Jewish uh, leader, a Jewish teacher. He was a Pharisee, and he was one. Of, he was a student of the Rabbi Gamaliel, who was highly regarded in uh, in in Israel at the time. Gamaliel was a was a highly respected Jewish leader and teacher, and Saul was one of his students. So he studied under Gamaliel. Saul uh, was throwing Christians in jail. He was standing by as they were stoned to death, approving of what they did. He was kind of a bad guy, uh, but he was very zealous for God. And God eventually, he got a hold of Saul and he struck him down on a, as, as he was on his way to go and persecute more Christians. And Saul ended up having his name changed to Paul. And he's the one that we know as the Apostle Paul, or St. Paul. <clears throat> Never heard of him. <laughs> <laughs> Abram was a, was a man who, who, who came from this land. I'm not, I won't go into it. The Lord came to Abram and he said, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to a land which I will show you. Now, pay, try, to, try to follow this because, it's, because what I'm going to read here is, is as actually it's really, really important. God said to Abram, this man named Abram, um, Abram was, uh, 
Let's see if I can just give a quick little... Nah, it gives the whole lineage of the scripture in, in, in chapter 11. It gives the, the, the whole lineage of, of, uh, of Abram, where he came after Adam, right? Where he's in the lineage of Adam. But anyway, uh, he came from a place called the, the Ur, Ur of the Chaldees. And that's where Abram was living with his father. And he said, the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's a statement that God made directly to this man named Abram from Ur of the Chaldees. Okay. Now, how can a man become a great nation? Well, obviously, he didn't mean Abram himself is going to become a nation. What he meant was his offspring will become a great nation. That Abram, and we have to understand that the way that people thought about their generations and their children, their children's children, was different from the way that we think about it today. So when, when he says, I'm going to make you a great nation, he understood my children and my children's children will become a great nation. He says, and I'll make your name great. That's his whole, right, his, his offspring, his whole, the family that comes from him. And I will bless those who bless you, again, referring to his lineage, all those who come from his loins. I will bless you, and the one who curses you, I will, I will bless those who bless you, and, I will, and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So he's talking about all the families that will come from this man, Abram. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Lot was his cousin, uh, or his ne- I think it was his nephew. Uh, now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So this man is 75 years old. God calls him, and he says, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, there he goes, and all their possessions which they had accumulated and the persons which they had acquired in Haran, so they had, sl- they had servants, uh, <clears throat> and they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan, and Abram passed through the land as far as the, the site of Shechem to the oak of, uh, of Morah. Now the Canaanite was then in the land, and the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. So there are already these Canaanites living there. <clears throat> They're pagans. And God says, I'm going to give your descendants this land. So he, Abram, built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared before him. He had appeared to him, and he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, continuing toward the Negev. And there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there and the famine was severe in the land. They came near to Egypt and he said to his wife, see now, I know you're beautiful. Anyway, I'm not going to go into all that. That's all very interesting. (laughs) Uh, Abram is, is 75 his wife is 10 years younger, so she's 65. Abram's greatest fear was that the, when, when they went into Egypt, the, the men in Egypt were going to be so smitten with the beauty of his wife that they'll kill him and take his wife for themselves, right? How many 65-year-old women do you know who are that beautiful? Okay, anyway, I know, I know one. Uh, well, she's not really, she's not 65, but 
Anyway, so so uh, so I'm not gonna go. There's uh, there's some stuff that well, well, we can go back to later. Uh, let me see. Um, let's uh, so then Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot gets taken captive. Uh, we'll, we'll skip all that. And um, there's a little battle there, and and after all these things. The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. <clears throat> so what's the reward? He's thinking about his generations, but Abram is, he was 75 when God first called him, and his wife is 65. Not a lot of, how many 65-year-old women do you know who have children? Well, you mean like... I mean, who have children when they're 65. Oh, I don't... Know yeah, right. Yeah. Right, none. So Abram said, Oh Lord, oh Lord God, what will you give me since I'm childless? And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. So he's got... His head servant is Eleazar, but he's from Damascus, and he's not even a child of Abraham. He's, he's got... Of Abram, he's, no, he's got no children. And Abram said... Since thou hast given me no offspring, given no offspring to me, no one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, "This man, referring to Eleazar, this man will not be your heir, but one who shall come forth from your own body; he shall be your heir." He took him outside and he said, "Now look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you're able to count them." This is God speaking to Abram. Look at the stars and count them if you're able to. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Then he believed the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. And he said, oh Lord, how may I know that I shall possess it? Just as a little uh, spoiler alert here, where do you think that Abram was standing when God said, I brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans, the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. Where do you think he was standing at that time? Well, probably in Israel somewhere. Yes, sir, you're right. Yeah, he was standing <laughs> in Israel. Right, the land that we now know is Israel. That's where he was standing. And he said, how will I know that I'm going to possess it? So he already said, I believe that, uh, that a great nation is going to come forth from my body, which is pretty impressive since he's over 75 at this point. How shall I know that I shall possess the land? Now, 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 just stay with me because this is amazing. God is going to enter into a contract with Abram. And back then, they didn't have paper and pencil. They didn't sign. They did it a much more, uh, a much more profound way. He said, How, O Lord God, may I know that I shall possess it? So he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him and he cut them in two. Abram cut them in two and he laid each half opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds. And the birds of prey came down upon the carcasses and Abram drove them away. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram and behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. And God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in, land, in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. But I will also, and that's by the way, 
Did you hear that? He says, your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs while they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. You know what that land was? That came to pass exactly as God said. It's right here, the green one. Oh, the one that you can't see because we've got the... Here. It's here. I'll do it like... uh, That green one down the lower left-hand corner. Egypt. God was telling Abram, your descendants are going to be enslaved 400 years in Egypt. And they were. 400 years. And then he said, but I also will judge the nation whom they will serve. And after they'll come out with many possessions. Did you see the movie, The Ten Commandments? Okay, well, at the end of the... Boy. When was I out of our own? Uh, 1962, I think, okay. 1963. Oh, yeah. you got to watch it. parts of it. Ten Commandments is a classic. It's, it's Charlton Heston plays Moses. It's a classic. You've got to watch the Ten Commandments. You've got to watch the Ten Commandments. The special effects that they used when he parted the Red Sea, unprecedented in its time. No computers back then. Unpre- 1960, I think it was 62, 63, something like that. I'm going to make a note to add it to my uh, watch list. Add it to your watch list. Make it quick because especially it's going to be very, very, really, it's going to be very important. In fact, that would be a good homework assignment for everyone before next, our next show. Watch the Ten, Ten Commandments with uh, Charlton Heston. <clears throat> so, uh, you know, a lot of people don't know Charlton Heston was Jewish. Oh, yeah, I didn't know that. See? <laughs> I, I, may, I might be confusing the imagery of it with the... Monty Python one where it was the 11th com- the yeah. 11th command he yeah, had 11 right. commandments and he <laughs> right. dropped one <laughs> right right so so god says as for you you shall go to your fathers in peace you shall be buried at a good old age now you all might be thinking right now what does it have to do with what's going on in israel everything everything remember the the situation that we're in right now there are all these, there's these dead animals that Abram has cut in two, and he's laid them one half on one side, one half on the other side. And there's a little path in between. And back in, in Abram's day, when two men made a covenant, made a contract with each other, this is the way it was done. They would take, these, they would take animals like this. They would kill them and cut them in half. And they'd lay one half on one side, one half on the other side, then the two men <clears throat> would walk together through those dead animals from one end to the other. And that was their agreement, that this is the contract that we're going to keep with each other. And this is, what it, this is the meaning of doing that. They're essentially saying to each other, may what has been done to these animals so be done to me if I don't hold up my end of this bargain. Oh, okay. Okay. Very powerful. Not only will I die, but you're going to cut me in half and split me apart like we did with these animals if I violate my end of the agreement. Okay. Abram knew that. He totally understood that. It'd be like today you saying, hold on, let me get my lawyers to write something up and we'll both sign it. Okay. Mm -hmm. We would understand what that means in the same way that Abram understood what this meant. So God has Abram and what's, what's God saying to cut these animals apart? What's he saying to do this in response to? Abram's question was what? God said, you will, you will possess this land, you and your generations after you. All your descendants will possess this land that you're standing on right now. What was, what was this contract in response to? God already said, you're going to possess this land. So why is God now doing this thing with the animals? Why is he having Abram do this thing with the animals? 
Abram asked him a question. What was the question? Oh, Lord God, how may I know that I shall possess it? That's his question. How, how will I know that I'm going to possess this land? You, you said I'm going to possess it, but how will I know that I'll possess it? So God tells him to take these animals. He cuts them apart. And it came about, and then, and then, uh, then it says that the sun had set when it was very dark. Behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between these pieces, these dead animal parts. The, the smoking oven and the flaming torch. That smoking oven and the flaming torch represented God himself. But, but Noah, uh, excuse me, Moses wasn't, Abram, Abram wasn't there. I mean, Abram was there, but Abram didn't go between the pieces because what did it say? It says that when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. So he's in terror and great darkness. He falls asleep. It's almost like he passed out. And, but then he sees this flaming torch, this smoking oven, go between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, to your descendants, I have given this land from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenite, the Kenizzite, and the Cadmonite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, and the Rephaim, and the Amorite, and the Canaanite, and the Girgashite, and the Jebusite, all their land is going to become the land of the descendants of Abram. This is spectacular because God basically said, let this so be done to me what you did to these animals if you don't possess this land, you and your descendants after you. That was the promise that God made to Abram. That's pretty significant, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Okay, so there's the promise. So the promise, so the question is, who is Abram? And who are his descendants, right? Because we need to know that if he's talking about the land that we now call Israel. Who are these people? And where do they come from? So Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. You know, I'm going to skip all this part. Um, no, I can't. I can't skip it because it's because it's 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 critical. She had an Egyptian maid, Sarai, Abram's wife, and her name was Hagar. And she said, to, Sarai said to Abram, "Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children." Sarai's blaming it on God. She's saying He's prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children through her. Can you imagine your wife saying that to you? Nope. Hey, hey, <laughs> <laughs> I can't either. So her, 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 her maid is much younger, a much younger woman. She's Egyptian, probably beautiful. And his wife says... God's prevented me from having children. Go into my maid, and uh, perhaps I'll obtain children through her. And Abram said, okay. <laughs> we don't know the conversation, but it says, and Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. And after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Abram's wife Sarai took Hagar, 
her, the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to her husband, Abram, as his wife. Okay, that's after 10 years. How old was, let's do some math here. How old was Abram when God called him? 75. 75. So now it's been 10 years. How old is he now? 85. He's 85. At 85, Abram goes into his wife. Maybe he took a couple of years to think, well, let's just keep trying. You know, but eventually, he goes in to Hagar, and he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she'd conceived, her mistress was despised in her sight. What is the most, just think for a minute. Okay, this is a question for both of you. What's the, what would give a woman today, in America today, the greatest status among other women? What can you think? Uh, would it be fame? Would it be to become a, a Kardashian? Would it be to, uh, to be the, the wife of the president? Uh, would it be to uh, live in a, you know, to drive around in Rolls Royce? What would be the most honoring thing that a woman today could have? What would you think? A make some loyal husband. A loyal husband. Oh, okay. Oh, <laughs> yeah. That's good. <laughs> That's the good one. You know what it wasn't in, in Abram's day? To bear children. Oh, yeah, that too. Yeah. And Sarai couldn't have children. She'd had no children. And now her, her maid has her husband's child. I mean, they're still married, but she sent... She sent Abram into Sarah, to, to, to Hagar, and now Hagar and so now it says her mistress, in other words, Sarah, is despised in the sight of Hagar. And Sarah said to Abram, "May the wrong done me be upon you. I gave my maid into your arms, but when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me." She's a little upset. But Abram said to Sarah, "Behold, your maid is in your power." Do to her what is good in your sight. So Sarai treated her harshly, and Hagar fled from her presence. So Hagar runs away. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said to Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress Sarai. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. Moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they shall be too many to count. And the angel of the Lord said to her further, okay, so, okay, yeah, where are we going with this? <laughs> well, okay, first of all, I want you to keep in mind everything that's happened, right? I mean, have you followed the train of what's going on? God calls Abram out of, this, out of the, the land of the Chaldeans. He tells him, I'm going to give you, you and your descendants this land. It's going to be possession of, for, of theirs forever. And he says, it's going to come from, this descendant's coming from you. Then his wife can't have any children. There are 10 years. She still has no children. She gives him his handmaid. Then she gets pregnant by Abram. And then Sarai treats her badly. So she runs away. She's probably getting beaten or, you know, cussed at or whatever. And the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord meets her in the wilderness and says, go back to Sarai and return to her and submit to her. But he says, but I'm going to multiply your descendants so that they will be too many to count. Remember the, the, the promise that God made to Abram? He said, look up into this, look at the stars if you can count them. That's how your descendants will be. 
So, so far, it's kind of sounding like maybe this is it, right? The angel of the Lord said to her further, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son. And you shall call his name Ishmael. Because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. Ishmael means the Lord hears, or the Lord has heard. That's what the name means, Ishmael, the Lord has heard. Because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. Now he's going to talk about what this child is like, but he's not just like when God says to Abram, I will make you a blessing to all the, you know, and through you all the nations will be blessed, and you'll be a great nation. He's talking about Abram's descendants, not him himself, but his descendants. The same thing that the angel of the Lord says to this woman about this boy Ishmael. He's talking to Ishmael as a nation, not as an individual, okay? Listen very carefully. This goes directly to the heart of this matter of Israel. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him. And he will live to the east of all his brothers. So she called upon the name of the Lord who spoke to her. And by the way, that that phrase, he will live to the east of all his brothers, some interpret that as in enmity or in hostility against all his brothers. So she called on the name of the Lord who spoke to her, Thou art a God who sees. For she said, Have I even remained here alive after seeing him? Therefore the place was called uh, Bir Laharoi. Behold, it's between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom he bore Ishmael. And Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. Okay, he's 86. Now he's got his son. The angel of the Lord said, I'm going to make a great nation off you. But he said he's going to be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. In other words, he's going to be violent. Mm-hmm. A man of war. He's going to be... Uh, and, and, and he'll live in enmity or to the east of all of his brothers. <clears throat> all right. So is that Israel? Is that the people of Israel? Uh, probably Don't not. Don't answer. <laughs> <laughs> probably not, but it, it looks like it could be, right? Oh, boy. Okay, three minutes. Watch this. Now, when Abram was 99 years old, 99 The Lord God appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, and I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you. Uh, God said, My covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I will make you the father of a multitude of nations, and I will, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come forth from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your, generations after, to your descendants after you. And I will give to you and your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. An everlasting possession. That's the land of Canaan. That's the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. What does everlasting possession mean? It means an everlasting possession. (laughs) That's what it means. 
This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised, and you shall circumcise in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you and every male after you who is eight days old shall be circumcised throughout your generations. A servant who is born in the house, okay, I'm gonna, I'm all, we'll skip that part. An uncircumcised male who is not, okay, we'll skip that part. <clears throat> then God said to Abram, as for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name, and I will bless her. And indeed, I will give you a son by her. What? I will give you a son by her. Well, he, he already has a son, right? He's got a son by Hagar, Ishmael. And, and the angel of the Lord said he's going to be a great many nations, but it'll be a wild donkey of a man and his hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. But now God is saying, I'm going to, I'm going to bless her and she'll, I'll give you a son by her. Then I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall come forth from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, will a, will, will a child be born to a man a hundred years old? He's almost 100. And will Sarah, who's 90 years old, bear a child? Of course not. That's impossible. That's laughable to the point that Abraham laughed. And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. In other words, that you will bless Ishmael. But God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac which means he laughed. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I've heard you. Behold, I will bless him and make him fruitful and he will mul- and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall become the father of 12 princes and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you at this season next year. You got about eight minutes to make your point. Well, wait, are are you not seeing the picture? I'm trying to follow. God just said, I'm going to give you a son by Sarah, your Mm -hmm. wife. He said, I'm also going to make Ishmael, who came from Hagar, the Egyptian handmaiden. I'm going to make him a great nation too. Twelve kings will come from him. But I'm going to make Sarah, but I'm going to make my covenant. What was the covenant? The covenant was regarding... Land, right? Okay. And to make him a blessing to all the nations of the world, that all the nations of the world will be blessed through that nation that comes from his son, who he said he's going to be named Isaac, not through Ishmael. What, what did God promise was, that Ishmael was going to be like? A he's a wild donkey of a man. And his hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him, right? Yep. He doesn't say that about Isaac. So he says, my covenant I will establish with Isaac, who Sarah will bear to you with the same season next year. And when he'd finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham, Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all the servants who were born with him, and he brought him to the he brought, uh, who were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abram's household and circumcised. Okay, so they circumcised him. Now, Abram was 99 years old when he was circumcising his own flesh. And Ishmael, his son, was 13. By the way, do you know what, do you know what year? You know, Muslims circumcise their children, their male children. Do you know, he said, God told, told Abram, every child that's eight years old shall be circumcised. 
Do you know what year, what age the Muslims circumcised their children? 13. When was Ishmael circumcised? Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. The Arabs, the Muslims, circumcised at the age of 13. The Jews circumcised at the age of 8. The point is, and God did indeed keep his promise, a year later, Sarah gave birth to Isaac. Isaac became the father of Jacob, who God changed his name from Jacob to Israel. Israel was the father of Israel, (laughs) all the Jews that are alive in the earth today. They came from Israel. So we've got these two brothers, these two half-brothers. Abram was the father of both of them. Ishmael, who became the father of all the Arab nations, and Isaac, who became the father of the Jewish nation. And they're still today doing this. When God said he will live in enmity to the east he'll, of all of his brothers, that his hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. We see that still being played out today. So Hamas represents the descendants of Ishmael, and Israel represents, because they are, the descendants of Isaac. This was written thousands of years ago, before anyone ever heard of the land of Israel, before anyone heard of Hamas, before anyone heard of terrorists or Unabombers or anything like that, right? Before anyone heard of, I, I didn't mean to say Unabomber, before anyone heard of the underwear bomber, that's, that's what I meant. So the attacks that come from, and, and that's the history, that's the history of, of, of the Arab nations. A lot of fighting, a lot of fighting. Again, fulfilling the prophecy in Scripture. So this is the beginning of this battle. And where we are today is it's continuing to this day. That battle between the Ishmaelites and the Israelites. So does Hamas consider themselves Ishmaelites? Well, they are. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, if they, yeah, and Muslims do, because then that's why, that's why in Islam, they might, we, we lived in, we, let's see, let's see if I can, is it on this map? No, it's on, it's on this, where's the other map? What are these, these okay, uh, this is Turkey right here, and uh, I lived in Turkey for two and a half years when I was a boy. And Turkey is, at one point, it was a hotbed for Christianity. Christianity kind of almost, I mean, it exploded in Turkey. Now, you've got to look far and wide in Turkey to find one Christian. Uh, It is a Muslim country. And it was a Muslim country when I lived there. And our next-door neighbors were Muslim, and some of my best friends were Muslim. And uh, we were invited over to the neighbor's house because the oldest son had just been circumcised at the age of 13. That's when they still circumcise Mm -hmm today because Ishmael was circumcised at 13 and so they believe so so just a little bit of they believe that the Jews have corrupted scripture and changed things they believe that God really said I'll make my covenant with Ishmael not with Isaac and so we have to they they have to do things the way that 
happened with Ishmael, which is circumcised on uh, at year 13, not day 8. Vitamin K, by the way, is at a peak in babies that are born on day 8, which is the... helps things clot. and Anyway... Uh, so, 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 so we're looking at a thousands-of-year-old conflict in the Middle East. That's what we're seeing. We're seeing it played out. So why this last weekend? What, what things got set in action that would cause this to happen what? over the same time that, you know, the Ukraine war is going on and all these other wars that are going on? Because, I mean... You know, if you got China looking at invading Taiwan, you got Ukraine and Russia, that has nothing to do with this thousand year war between them. So, what actions were made that this happened at this time? So, the bigger question is who's really controlling all of these events, right? Uh, who, we know that, that, that God is in charge, but the Bible refers to Satan as the God of this world. So, Satan is manipulating men and governments around the world, and he has been for a long time. And, um, and Satan obviously hates God. The, the, the name devil literally means hater of God. That's why the devil hates God. Uh, here's a quote from Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 19. Oh, my soul, my soul, I am pained in my very heart. My heart makes a noise in me. I cannot hold my peace because you have heard, oh, my soul, the sound of the trumpet. The alarm of war. That's a reference to Israel. God has warned that Israel, anyway. Well, you know, but Israel is called the apple of God's eye. Uh, they are His chosen people. The the Jews. We can we can we can get into this next time. But God made a promise to Abraham. He promised that Israel will exist forever. That the nation of Israel, that that particular piece of land will be an everlasting possession for the Jewish people. And that everlasting means everlasting. So it means even if they're kicked out, as they were by the Romans, you know, and after the 70 AD, the, Roman, the Romans destroyed the temple. They kicked all the Jews out. And they named this land Elia Palestina, which literally means, and we've anglicized it to say Palestine, but that literally means the land of the Philistines, who were the Philistines? They were the arch enemies of Israel. Goliath was a Philistine. The, the Philistines hated the Jews. The Jews hated the Philistines. Very, very violent and, and wicked people. So, so when you hear about Palestine, again, that goes back to, to Rome's renaming of the Jewish land after their arch enemies as a final slap in the face after kicking them off their own property. Well, you know, it, you know I mean, it's an interesting, you know, take on you know why you know why this thousand year war is going on but it it doesn't change the fact that you know hamas and these people i mean they're it's not like just a a war i mean they're slaughtering children and babies i mean in you know 2023 right so i mean even though it's a thousand year war why are they so barbaric in today's world because i mean we just got uh, the latest numbers here uh, 765 people have been killed in the Gaza Strip by Israel's retaliatory airstrikes. And according to the Palestinian uh, Health Ministry, at least 140 children there have been killed and 4,000 others have been wounded. So, you know... 
it, well, it just doesn't make any sense as to why. I mean, I understand that these two have been in war forever, but it doesn't still change the fact that the people of Hamas are completely soulless. Barbaric, right. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's, if you, when you know biblical history, and that's one of the reasons that I think this is so important. You know, I mentioned earlier in the program that the I mean, Jews aren't, don't have a reputation of going out and slaughtering other people, except when God said, go destroy these people, make a total slaughter, wipe them all out. When God said that, they, they would go and do that. And, and people say, oh, let's see, God is a, he's a, he's a bloodthirsty, vengeful God who hates people. No, the people that he told the Jews to wipe out were the people that did things like Hamas does. They were wicked, violent people. They killed children. They had child sacrifices. They did some of the most hideous things to children you can even imagine. So, and God said, go wipe them out because otherwise you're going to learn their practices and you're going to start doing things that you are not supposed to do. That's, I mean, that was a question I was going to bring up. And actually, uh, Marie, uh, she pointed it out. Um, but I mean, does Israel... Do they have the same tactics as Hamas? I mean, are they over there, you know, slaughtering women and children too? Is it is it a, yeah, is it a 50-50 battle? Yeah, she said not even – okay, that's, um, that's a joke. Uh, not only is she dead wrong, Israel does that same thing to Israel over here. No, not, not at all. Um, okay, well, well – I think we're getting into next, the next, uh, the week, next, next week. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, there is a tremendous war. First of all, well, well, we'll get into that next week. Yeah, no, not even close. Uh, I, you know, 20 years, 30 years ago, maybe 40 years, I don't know, a long time ago, I met an Israeli farmer who'd come over here to learn some, talk farming uh, with one of the farmers here in, in Minto. And I said, listen, what do, I said, what did Jews want? I mean, all this, all this turmoil and strife in the Middle East, over this little, little, teeny, tiny sliver of land, that little, teeny, tiny sliver, little, tiny sliver. I said, what do the Jews really want? I said, what do you guys want? You know, he looked at me and said, he said, all we want is to, is to raise our crops. We want to grow corn. We just want to live. We just want to be left alone. That's all we want. But they can't because they're being attacked constantly. Like I said, it's like the, uh, you know, it's like... Uh, like a black family living in a neighborhood where they're surrounded by Ku Klux Klaners. Yeah. That's, that's, that's what it's like. That's a good analogy. Yeah. Okay, well, yeah, uh, I guess we'll, I mean, we uh, got another show coming up here. So, you know, we're going to continue on to this next week because I'm sure we got a lot more to cover. A lot more to cover. Um, so, I guess that wraps up today's show, The Great Reset. Uh, we wish John the very best. Uh, I hope he's uh, driving safe. And we will see him back here uh, most likely next week. Uh, thanks again to today's sponsors, Executive Properties, Churchill Shoes. Oh, I don't no, think... We, yeah. but did we ever do a Churchill Shoes? Uh, yeah, we've got to do Churchill, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, we'll, we'll wrap it up with Churchill here, but uh, also O for Heaven's Cakes. Um, and then remember to like, share, tag, and follow GFBS. Hit, uh, hit the notification bell. Uh, you know, pound that notification bell, everybody. And let your friends know to watch us too. And try to watch us on Rumble if you can. Remember, the Grand Cities are awesome. Grand Forks' best source is giving them an identity again. And if you would like any Grand Forks merch, go to gfbsmerch.com. And until then, uh, we're going to run this Churchill Shoes ad, and we will see you next week. October is SAS month at Churchill Shoes in the Grand Cities Mall. Churchill Shoes is in their new location, and all SAS shoes are on sale all October long. 
Churchill Shoes has been in business for over 65 years and know what the best shoes are for your comfort and well-being. It's SAS Shoes. Churchill Shoes can cater to all your footwear needs, whether men's or women's shoes, from slim to triple wide. Open Monday through Friday from 9 to 5 and Saturdays from 9 to 3. Call 701-772-8256 or go online at churchillshoesnd.com. SAS Shoes, your feet will be glad you got them at Churchill Shoes in the Grand Cities Mall. 